So, Thomas, long time no see. It's been about a little over a month. Yeah, I feel like I got to reintroduce myself to you, man. I know yeah. it's uh, you look. You don't look much different. <laughs> your hair, your head's still pretty much shaved. You still don't grow any facial hair. This is uh, actually about three weeks old. Uh, that's good. So our listeners can uh, can't see me, but it, yeah. it's pretty beautiful. Uh, it's nice not, goatee. Yeah, it's basically nothing. <laughs> Uh, my hair is a little bit longer. My beard is a little bit shaggier. You got a tan uh, living yeah. up in Florida for a week. Yeah. I, we, we missed a couple of our recording sessions because a lot of things happened in my life over the last month. Uh, he's just not my, dedicated to this non-paying gig that he's doing. That's what it is. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. But also, uh, I finished my semester, my first semester and went to Florida and we got back to our house the Tuesday we were supposed to record. I didn't get home till like midnight because we flew in and out of DCA. And as you know, we both live in Leesburg now. It's quite the hike from uh, DCA. We flew in, we, we landed at like 1030 and we got home at about a little after midnight. So couldn't record then. And then I got sick the next week. And then uh, what happened last week? Last week I was, I think we were just decided that uh, we'd stay on our, you know, take one more week off. It was Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. And I was sick for one of those weeks as well. And yeah, I mean, I know yesterday we were supposed to record. So I'm only a day late, but uh, yeah, yeah. two days ago, my son got four nasty cuts in his leg, got over 60 stitches uh, combined. And yeah, he's having to learn how to live life on one foot. And <laughs> Is he on crutches? Yeah, because the way the where the stitches were, um, if he bends his leg, it's going to pop him. Uh, um, and it's almost like if he bends it in any, like if he straightens it or bends it too much, because it was like above the knee, the back of the knee, on the side of the knee, and then a nasty one down the shin. Is he like? Is it like wrapped up with like ace bandage or something, or is it just? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's so, nice. but it took him like two hours. Like the shin one was the worst, and there was like three layers of stitching, and it took like two hours just to do that one. Jeez. So he's been hanging in there, man. He's been tough though. He hadn't, I mean, I'm looking at it and there again, it's one of those where you can, I mean, the shin, you can see down to the bone and I'm just like, how you feeling with, you know, I'm kind of checking for a number of things, but once we realized it wasn't like an arterial cut. Yeah. I was like, buddy, how you doing? He's like, feels kind of like a paper cut. And I'm looking at that thing. And I'm like, <laughs> not a paper cut, dude. Don't, <laughs> I look, down. That, but <laughs> Don't look down. Don't look down. Yeah. Well, then that, that was a lot of it. Like it was getting all of our kids inside. Luckily, my parents are here. But it's like get all the kids and the dog inside. Have my dad call nine one one. You know, have my wife out here, and then uh, just keeping everybody out. Him not looking at it Cause, again, because once it was like no arterial bleeding, like we were just waiting on the ambulance, pretty much. Where, and it was like, just uh, chat, chat with him. Where did they take him? Because you, you're kind of like in between hospitals did you go to yeah, Stone springs uh no they took him to a uh, inover um and a lansdowne okay yeah that's they were yeah. where my wife works yeah okay yeah yeah apparently they're the only one local <clears throat> they're the only one local that has like a trauma center oh so, well, yeah i didn't know anything about that. that i mean that's a good hospital that's where my son was born and we like we like it a lot yep. um but i know you're kind of like in between where you live uh, stone springs and um what's that i can't think Lamp. of what they're what that town is technically called? It's Aldi, it's isn't not, it? Is it Aldi? Yeah, it's Aldi or um, Chantilly. Chantilly or, yeah. There's like one other name for that area, uh, and I only know that because like that that hospital. My wife's doctors also have like uh, privileges at at that hospital. Um, 
Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm glad to hear he's okay. Uh, that's a really crappy way to start the summer. It is. Luckily, you can only have stitches for like two weeks before your body starts to reject them. Uh-huh. Um, they they think that's going to be the healing, so he'll get them off the day before his birthday. Then uh, we'll start traveling like a week later. So When's his birthday? June 14th. Oh, we have the same birthday. Oh, I didn't know that, Phil. Yeah. Flag Day. Trump's birthday. <laughs> All the important people. June yeah. 14th. Army's birthday. I, I, I didn't know that either. Yeah, I, only, I mean, I've known that it's Flag Day since I, you know, since I was a kid and found out that my birthday fell on Flag Day. Uh, but I guess that's also the Army's birthday. And I didn't find out it was the Army's birthday until, here's a funny story. I was in Balad, Iraq on my first deployment, and we were leaving. And I was scheduled to leave like the 15th or 16th, I can't remember which one, of June. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to miss, I'm going to have to, you know, one last birthday deployed, whatever, no big deal. For the Army's birthday on June 14th, which is also my birthday, they were allowing uh, like three beers. Like you could have three beers per person or whatever, which is for people who don't know when you're deployed, there's no alcohol. Like if, you, if you're at a base that serves alcohol and real milk, you're not deployed. You, yes. might be getting, you might be getting hazard pay or whatever, but you're not really <laughs> deployed. Uh, we make that distinction in the military that if you have real milk and alcohol – you're not really deployed. Uh, so I hadn't had alcohol and I was there for like seven months on that, on that rotation. Hadn't had alcohol in seven months. Army's birthday, my birthday, three beers. I'm like, hell yeah. I'm going to go down to the DFAC and get my three beers. Cause I was, I, you know, I wasn't flying anymore. I was taking off the rotation. I, I'm pretty sure I was leaving the 15th the very next day. And so I get down there and they have a, like a roster of everybody on the compound. And I tell them my name and it's not on there. And I'm like, oh, I'm with this detachment. And they're like, oh, is that like, uh, you know, a fly? I don't know what they said, but basically, is that a fl- like a, a flying unit? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, I'm sorry. Like flyers can't drink because of like crew rest, basically. And I'm like, <laughs> no, you don't understand. I leave tomorrow. They're like, you're not on the list, man. And so I was like super disappointed. I was like the worst. But that's how I found out that the Army's birthday was also June 14th. <laughs> They looked at you like, no, you don't understand. We don't care. We don't care. Yeah, they weren't going to hear anything from the Air Force guy. They were just oh, like, <laughs> they're just like, dude, you're not on the list, man. Like, sorry. <laughs> we, uh, so, you know, for the Marines at least, when we deployed Afghanistan, we would land in Manas, Kyrgyzstan, which is mm-hmm. just north of Afghanistan. And they, that's an Air Force base. And they have, you know, like you said, they get all the hazardous duty, imminent danger pay, but they like go out in town, have alcohol, have real meal, like good food, yeah, all that that's, stuff. For for us, it's that's the same as going to Al Udeed in Qatar. Oh, okay, like we yeah. that's like we fly into Al Udeed and then do whatever, yeah. and then that's how we fly into country is is through at least for Iraq. Yeah. And uh, yeah, real they can go off base. They, there's like a water park they can go to. Same thing, same thing. Yeah, well, and I've been told like a couple of months after after I was there for leaving Afghanistan, they quit serving alcohol because you had too many Marines who are like you know actually in combat and, and deployed in Afghanistan come back after six, seven months, drink their two or three beers, and then start fighting. And this is like staff and and officers start fighting Air Force personnel I believe over it. what it means to be deployed. And yeah. they're just like, you know, it's just easier to ban alcohol. So, yeah, I believe it. Marines ruin everything. Yeah, we ruin it for everybody. So. They really do. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad uh, we're doing this again. I'm glad we didn't call it quits by any means. It was never on the table. We were just kind of on a brief hiatus. I... Uh, 
I finished my first semester. I'm currently taking uh, Calc 2, but it's the only class I'm taking, and it's really condensed, and I actually like it a lot better than Calc 1 over the long term. Uh, don't don't be first, humble. Tell everybody what you got. I got straight A's, bro. Nerd. Straight A's. Uh, that was for people who follow me on the 1v1 gaming show. I haven't played video games in like four months. So <laughs> that was a great payoff was that I got straight A's because I was really worried I was going to get not that I was not that I was worried. I was assuming I was going to get a bunch of B's because even though I stopped gaming, I still have a wife. I still have a kid. I still have a kid on the way. I still have a full time job. I do this podcast and the other podcast and just a lot going on. And I was not expecting to do very well, but somehow I pulled out straight A's, uh, which made it. I don't know if it made it worth it, but it made it. It didn't make it not worth it. <laughs> like giving up video games for four months. See, now and, the calculus in your head is okay. How much more video games can I play and still get a B? Yes, yes, that is a constant. That's a constant thing going on with me when I'm sitting at home studying for my next exam, which is tomorrow, by the way. Uh, when I'm like, can I play video games tonight? So that's still going on. But yeah, I, I have this. I'm only in this till the end of June, and then I have all of July off, so I'll be gaming more. Thank God. I definitely miss it. But then the new kid comes early August, August 5th or 6th, I think is his due date. And then my next semester starts shortly thereafter. So, so just a little bit of that's going to be over for the year after your second child. Is yeah. Married. My life is like real, real over. Like before it was just kind of over. Now it's like real, real over. Oh, for sure. When you have a toddler and a newborn, like that, that changes everything because yeah. like with our like fourth child, like our oldest three are old enough. And they were in school. So if James didn't sleep well at night, Lauren could still nap the next day. Yeah. But then when we had number five, you know, James was two and he wasn't going to school. So we were just tired all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I, I might not go to fall semester. I might just delay it. We'll see. Um, I don't, I'm being very optimistic that I can juggle a full time job, a newborn, and a full workload of classes. So, We'll see. It's all a matter of how much you want to dislike your life for a season. Yeah. Yeah. And I really <laughs> like my free time and my, like my personal time. I like me time. Uh, and I'm not going to get a lot of that. So we'll you're see how it goes. You'll be doing calculus doing your me time. <laughs> exactly. That's not, my, that's not my ideal. My <laughs> idea of uh, great me time, but it is what it is. But yeah. I'm glad to be back. Glad to hear you're doing well. Hope your kid gets better. And, uh, uh, you become a herpetologist on Facebook, which is cool. Finding all kinds of snakes on your property. and You know you had to Google that. Don't act like you knew what uh, a oh, snake doctor her- was. I know what a herpetologist is. I've watched plenty of uh, uh, Steve Irwin and Rest Discovery Channel. Yeah, Rip. Um, but yeah, your Facebook has been a bunch of snakes lately. So yeah, that, was inter- that, was, that was interesting for me for uh, an hour. Yeah, everything was within like 20 minutes of each other. Like I saw the one we snakes. <laughs> well, I was cutting wood. We were doing a fire that night. So I saw one in the tarp and I kind of shooed it away. And then I pulled the tarp back. And then there was the other one that, like, a different one that was like sliding down. So I was like, well, I guess this is a thing now. Glad they're not poisonous. Yeah. I think, I mean, Eastern Diamondbacks is a thing, but probably not out here, like where we live very much. Um, maybe, I don't know, water moccasins or copperheads. I don't, I don't know how far north those guys come yeah copperheads and, and rattlesnakes are supposed to be the the most concerning of all the ones that are concerning 
that are yeah that are up here. Yeah, um, everything yeah. else is not poisonous. Yeah, most of that stuff is. I mean, it's not going to feel good if they bite you, but it's not going to yeah. kill you or hurt harm. They'll keep the mice away too. So I feel like they they do a service. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, that's kind of how I feel with spiders. Like I'm not a. I don't want a spider crawling on me, but generally if I find one in the house, I try to scoop it up and put it outside because they kill all the flying insects that you don't want to deal with. So, yeah, when I got married, I had to declare war on all spiders. So they are not well, that's, allowed to live in the house. Well, Rachel, yeah, they're not allowed to live in our house either, but Rachel is more scared of flying bugs than she is spiders. Like she's yeah. still, she's scared of spiders, but she's more scared of flying insects. So I'm like, if you want less flying insects, we've got to save these spiders. <laughs> Uh, we had a black widow. We had a black widow in our garage. I killed that once. Um, this is at the old house. Uh, but generally speaking, if we just find like a normal looking spider, I'll get some Tupperware, scoop it up, and toss them outside. Yeah. See, that's how I am with the flying bugs, especially like stink bugs and such, or crickets. But yeah, Rachel's like deathly afraid of moths. So <laughs> anything other than, like you can't really get more, more harmless than a moth. So it's not really a, uh, rational fear type thing. So yeah, I, I, so I straight up told him like, you want these spiders like outside, don't get me wrong, but you want them to cut down on all these flying insects. So she's come to a truce with them, I guess. That's good. But yeah. So again, we're glad to be back. Which is, I mean, you've been listening for 13 and a half minutes. If you don't know well, this is the OVO deep state at OVO deep state on Twitter, I'm at the rake, but the A is a four on Twitter. My co-host, as always, at Thomas Black underscore eighty six, haven't been that active on Twitter, man. I've uh, I saw a retweet or two, but not really uh, pumping out the stuff like you normally do. I, I blocked or not blocked. I muted the word Liberty in Liberty University, so I don't see any of that stuff anymore. If that's what you're going for, uh, maybe the Braves aren't doing well because I haven't seen you really post about the Braves. But yeah, not not seeing a whole lot of activity on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. So the Braves aren't doing well. That's correct. I have done a bunch of Liberty <laughs> stuff, so you haven't seen that. And uh, quite a bit has happened in the in the world of, of uh, politics and society since we last recorded. Yes, but I don't like. I don't. I, I don't like like the one line. Of, I don't know. Twitter's not the place to have like nuanced, good. You're uh, kidding. The political discourse, <laughs> and I feel like everything that like, oh, I kind of agree with that, but it's the twenty words that follow that I'm just like, eh, it's not really my style. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure a few have gotten like, you know, I've, I've retweeted or, you know, liked them without really thinking fully about it. But uh, I've just I just haven't nothing has deserved the endorsement. Mm. So That's a shame, man. I enjoy uh, trolling your Twitter posts. <laughs> I haven't, haven't had a lot to do. Uh, but yeah, I definitely muted Liberty. So I haven't seen any of that. There's probably uh, two or three where I was like, yeah, Jake's going to get on this. Do I have the time for that? <laughs> and then you didn't. But I think you were sicker in Florida because I was. I was like yeah. budgeting time to respond and then nothing happened. Yeah, I wasn't on Twitter much while we were in Florida. Uh that's for sure. But yeah, I uh Yeah, I don't think uh you're very similar to to Josh and that like he was like always talking about the Mavericks the next morning after the game if they won and if they <laughs> didn't win, he wouldn't say much or wasn't retweeting much. And so I could tell, like, I didn't have to look at, like, the box score. I could just tell who won based on his tweeting activity. And so that's how I guess with the Braves. I'm like, they must not be doing well if Thomas isn't bragging about them. No, nah, that's so disappointing. This was, like, one of the first years in a long time where I've, like, we don't have obvious weaknesses except for the, like, first seven people in our batting order. <laughs> it's, it's been so disappointing. Did you see <laughs> – this is kind of another digression, but did you see the fight between, like, Tommy Fan and uh, John um, – Jock Peterson. Jock Peterson, yeah. 
I, don't I, know, heard, I didn't see it. I heard about it. Yeah, I watched the video. Like you can, like it's like a really far away video uh, of them, but you, you can see uh, Fam going up to him and smacking him in the back of the head. Uh, but yeah, just the whole argument over fantasy football in their in their group chat. Was it like a, was it like a Will Smith smack? Or was it like, a, hey, I'm calling you out, but I'm not sucker punching you, smack. Uh, I assumed in the face. It's too hard to tell. It to me, it seems like he got him more like behind the ear, like not across the face. But it's a very like cell phony footage from across the field. It's not even like close. Gotcha. Um, and I mean, it obviously, wasn't that bad because Peterson didn't respond with any physical violence. Really, I feel like he's the kind of dude that would. So, but yeah, there was some kind of dispute over the rules in their fantasy football league. So. <laughs> Jock Whoa. was making fun of Tommy Fan in the group chat, and he made fun of the Padres. And Tommy yeah. Fan didn't didn't appreciate that. Uh, and this is this is well over a year ago. This isn't even recent, but I guess Tommy Fan has been stewing on it for like eighteen months. <laughs> yeah, it was the last and, football season. <laughs> and then and then uh, he said that uh, Mike Trout is the worst fantasy commissioner <laughs> ever he's, like, he's got to control this <laughs> this is just it's just so hilarious uh i was dying like the more the more information that kept coming out about it the funnier it got uh because fam fam got a three-game suspension and then i think yeah. it was up i think it was up yesterday or today and then he came out with the mike trout as a terrible commissioner uh, well also in this one i forget they asked something about his health but it wasn't it, it was just different it's like his neck or something he's like yeah, everything's going good. Doctors check me out. In case you guys are wondering, my hand's feeling great too. So, what a jerk. But uh, but yeah, that was funny. Uh, so yeah, that's the best story about baseball this year is about fantasy football. That's all you need to know. Uh, but even though that kept my spirits high, we had another mass shooting. Right on the. I mean, we've had. I didn't. I should have looked it up over the last thirty days since we've been off. But there have been two major mass shootings since our last episode, right on the heels of one another. And then right before we started to record, Thomas informed me that another shooting had just taken place place in Tulsa at a hospital. Uh, three confirmed dead plus the shooter. Don't really know the details of that yet. If it was some sort of uh, disgruntled worker situation or if it was a targeted thing. Um, but at a hospital, me and Thomas were talking about who shoots up at a hospital, who shoots up an elementary school, who shoots up a grocery store, who goes to a public place and just starts. It's just nuts, man. Like indiscriminately firing. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to say that I understand these mass shooters, but like when it's like a, when it's like a kid and he goes back, like Columbine, I understand Columbine. Like those kids got bullied and they took it out on their classmates. Like absolutely awful thing to do the wrong way to to do it the wrong way to handle the situation but i get it like they were retaliating against their classmates like what who are you retaliating against when you shoot up an elementary school yeah you're saying you can see the 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 connection in their mind although it's still yes like those people they wronged us let's go kill them these fourth graders at for i mean obviously there's no way that if you're listening to this podcast you don't know of these two mass shootings and the one in buffalo and the one in uh, uvalde texas um, where an 18-year-old shot up a elementary school, a bunch of fourth graders. 19 of them died and two teachers, two or three teachers. Yeah. Shot his um, grandmother too, right? Yeah, shot his grandmother in the face, but I believe she survived. She's recovering. Um, very similar to Sandy Hook, which happened almost 10 years ago. I mean, nine and a half years ago. 
where the the guy shot his mom. She died. He killed her and then went to the elementary school and shot up the elementary school. So very similar. I don't know if it was we, – we don't know anything about the shooter at this point, really. They're uncovering some of his social media DMs. Um, they kind of paint him as a you know a weirdo, a uh, uh, had violent had a lot of violent language towards females on these social media platforms, but nothing to really suggest he was going to shoot up an elementary school or why he targeted an elementary school. The Sandy Hook kid was like really obviously the the Uvalde guy was mentally ill. That's kind of goes without question. But the Sandy Hook guy was like super mentally ill and like went like his ultimate reason for doing it was that he was like freeing he wanted to free the children from like the pain of life basically like they were they were going to grow up and like experience like the world was shit so that's why he wanted he wanted to like save them right mm-hmm. that was kind of his thing like obviously completely misguided and idiotic and mentally deluded but that was like his reason there, there doesn't seem to be i mean it's super early don't get don't this this might come out later that he had a very similar thing, but I don't I don't think he did. Um, allegedly, he was bullied a lot, um, and was just didn't fit in with anybody. But again, his his uh, motive is still unclear. Uh, and prior to that, like I think less than a week before the school shooting, they had the massacre in a Buffalo supermarket where a white 18 year old male drove three hours to this black neighborhood and shot up a supermarket targeting only black people. And later, I mean, he was arrested. The Valdi guy was killed, but the Buffalo shooter was arrested, uh, taken into custody and his diatribe, his, what are they called? Manifestos, mm-hmm. uh, was just full of all kinds of racist bullshit about why, um, like the replacement theory, if people don't know replacement theory, you can look it up. Basically that white people are getting replaced with immigrants and uh, they're outbreeding white people. And soon white people are going to be the minority. And these minorities that are the people, the ones that are current minorities who are trying to become the majority are going to basically take it out. Like once they get in power, they're going to punish white people. Like that's the whole replacement theory in game. Uh, so white people need to fight back to make sure they don't get replaced. Uh, really delusional stuff, but that's basically what his manifesto was about. Uh, similarities between two shootings. They were both 18, which is insane. Such like throwing your life away at 18. Uh, they both used AR 15 platforms from my understanding, and they both were purchased legally, uh, by both shooters which is a topic I'm sure we're going to touch on, but kind of goes back to our gun debate. Um, and then we don't know anything. I don't know anything more about this Tulsa shooting. It's, it's literally happened maybe two hours ago at the time of this recording, uh, what kind of weapon he used. But there was some interesting, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter, but during the Yankees and uh, Tampa Bay Rays game, the Twitter accounts for both teams were posting like gun I don't want to call them gun control facts, but like just facts about shootings, gun, gun, gun violence. violence in America. Yeah. Uh, and one of the tweets from the Yankees, which I didn't verify, but I, uh, I mean, it confirms my, my, it confirms my biases, but uh, I didn't like look into any of their tweets. But one of the tweets said that when using uh, an AR platform, 
there are in a mass shooting, it's six times more deadly. There are six times more deaths than if using a handgun uh, or a non-AR platform, I guess. Again, I didn't look into the claim or, or read any anything beyond that tweet. Uh, but that so the big like topic over the last week has been like, how do we stop this from happening? Should should 18 year olds be allowed to purchase AR type platforms? Um, both you and I were in the military. Both of us have shot quote unquote assault rifles. I'm, I don't know about your gun collection. We never really talked about it, but you know, we own a handgun. Uh, I will teach my sons how to shoot for sure. And not more, more than teaching them how to shoot, teaching them, um, gun safety. Like even if you're not going to be a hunter, even if you're not going to go to the range every weekend, you know, like that's like your main hobby. Like I think everybody needs gun safety training at some point in their life. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can only speak for myself on, on that particular issue. But, you know, my, my oldest son, um, about, about two or three years ago, uh, we started to, I mean, he started showing interest in, in weapons, firearms, stuff like that. Um, yeah, so I told him, you know, we're going to start with a BB gun. Um, you're going to learn your, uh, we have five weapon safety rules. You're going to learn those. You're going to be able to cite them to me. Um, and when you can properly handle the weapon without ever putting the muzzle at me, at the dog, like you're always handling it with respect um, and you can master the um, four firing positions I teach you, then we can talk about moving up to a firearm. Um, but until then you're just, you're not respecting, you know, what, what the main point of a firearm is. I told him the main point of every firearm, no matter how you're using it, it was designed to kill, whether it's kill an animal, whether it's kill a person for self-defense, the intent is to kill. Now you can use it for sports shooting. You can do all those things, but that's not the designation. Um, so yeah, we have, we have long conversations about how to handle the weapon, um, how to respect the weapon. How you don't need to be afraid of it because it's, it's a tool in your hand, but you know, any tool not used correctly is going to be destructive to you or somebody else. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was kind of our process. Um, and I think that is, uh, the most important foundational thing you can teach, whoever you're instructing about weapons is, is safety, um, how to do maintenance on the weapon and how to properly, uh, you know, load, unload, clean, um, and, and, and fire, how to discharge around. So, and about yeah. that, just by real, real quick, cause if there's, I don't know how many, uh, conservative is people listen to our podcast, but <laughs> the constant sticking point, you know, I'm assuming when you say AR, you mean assault rifle. So yeah, AR, I know it's a term, that gets tossed around. I, I, when I use it, I understand AR-15 means Armalite, not assault rifle. And I know that the left has kind of co-opted it and turned it into assault rifle as kind of a scare tactic. But it's also d- disingenuous for people on the right to not to pretend like they don't understand what they're talking, what the left is talking about. Oh, they're like, uh, it's not an assault rifle. There, you know, there's no such thing as an assault rifle. Uh, you know. 18-year-olds can't get assault rifles. It's still like the military-style rifle, the Armalite rifle, pistol grip, semi-automatic, you know, generally 30-round magazine. Uh, Very easy to accessorize with things that make killing easier uh, than just your average 
hunting rifle with a butt stock and you know a five round magazine 10 round magazine um that sort of thing so when i when i use ar i understand the difference uh but it's kind of like i said it doesn't truly matter uh i i don't like the purposely calling it an assault rifle just to scare people but i also think that they're not far off i mean democrats when they talk about this um what's her name feinstein that dinosaur when she's talking about it i understand that she doesn't know what she's talking about like i that i that doesn't mean anything to me but there are shocker contrary to popular belief there are former military members that are democrats that have handled weapons both of us have handled weapons uh in our military careers um so that's that's what i mean when i say ar ar15 like i i understand what it actually stands for but again i don't think it in in 99 of most gun control conversations it doesn't make a difference like that ar means armalite and not assault rifle yeah, it matters less to me when it's like pundits and talks are host uh, misusing the term. Yeah. But to me, if you are a lawmaker and you're speaking about it, you need to have precise, accurate, um, specific language. Because I definitely understand that take. I think that more matters for when you're writing the law. But w- politicians are not people who I consider experts on any topic. Uh, and more often than not, the words they use are precisely they they say exactly what they mean to say they're not saying this stuff off the cuff when feinstein talks about assault rifles she's doing that on purpose do i think she understands the difference between an armor light and an assault rifle i'm i guarantee she's been told the difference or she's seen the difference but that doesn't matter to her because she's trying to get legislation passed to prevent those kind of weapons from being in the hands of the public. So when she says assault rifle, like I get it, like it's, and that's the part I don't like that. She's definitely you doing that on purpose. So I I'm just, I don't disagree with you with what you're, what you were saying. And I kind of cut you off, but like, I think the distinction is they know what they're doing. When Ted Cruz says something that is clearly wrong, he's doing that on purpose. He knows what he's doing. When Feinstein says something wrong like that, she's doing it on purpose to, it makes a be- it's a more compelling case when they say it that way, and it's the worst part about politics by far. Well, it's the worst part about you know democracy for sure because you're always trying to win the popularity contest. But I think that's where it bothers me most because you're representing me in the legislative process to craft laws that I'm going to have to live under. I want you to communicate with me like an educated uh, individual yeah. who is capable of contributing to the the lawmaking process. When you're constantly grandstanding or using inaccurate vernacular, um, it, it, it bothers me. Because to some degree, it makes you feel like you don't actually care about doing a good job. You care about keeping your job. And to me, that's just a that's a problem in probably every democracy, but definitely American politics. And, and I feel like it's appropriate and okay to demand more of your, your legislative representatives um, even if, like me, you're constantly dissatisfied and discouraged. Yeah, I, I think that's all that bothers me is when it's you should be able to use the right words. I think I say this every time we talk about anything political. I really, I want to like do an episode about like just the political process and why it is the way it is. Um, we have the political system that we're supposed like the we reason. Deserve? 
basically we have a two party system and because we have a two party system, all these things that people complain about you and I included that we hate about politicians is inherently due to having a two party system. The, I don't want to get too far into it, but like that's a conversation I definitely want to have because I've talked about this ad nauseum multiple, multiple times. Like the reason they do this is because this is what a two party system breeds. It's a race to the bottom. It's not a race to the top. Yeah. Um, it's definitely rally the base and not convince the populace. And the sad that I think even with the two party system, if you do open primaries and ranked choice voting, yes, yes, we'll talk but, about that in a later episode. I'm sure, but that would yes. be like keep the two party system if you want, but do it that's, like this. That's all one. Ep- that's all one episode where we're just going to air our grievances with our current system and how to fix it for sure. When's Festivus? Or, we'll do it on Festivus, or maybe a two party, maybe a two part episode about that. But yeah. But yeah, so going back to it, like, well, I don't, do you want to talk about the Uvalde police and their response or lack thereof of the shooting? Or do you just want to talk about our feelings on how to end mass shootings? Um, I think they probably wanted the same. So let's talk about the response and then we can go into at least a brief over the holistic. Sure. And again, if you're listening to this podcast, there's no chance you're not familiar with what's going on with this investigation on the response by the police department in that town. Uh, it's well documented now. I think I've seen reports. It's between, between 30 and 30 minutes and an hour of them standing outside the building, refusing to go in. Um, most of the stuff they were doing on site was preventing parents from running in. They were videos of, police you know holding back parents pointing their tasers at the parents just keeping them from charging in and in saving their children and it wasn't until a local border patrol tactical team showed up and then just kind of charged in and ended the ended the whole active shooter situation uh, but the police department is getting in my opinion very fair uh scrutiny and derision i read the texas the, it's called alert act. I wish I had the article pulled up. I don't know what alert stands for, but it's basically the training that the Texas police departments take uh, for active shooter situations. And the police chief had taken it. He, I think he has to take it every year, some kind of certification for active shooter training. And he took it in December. And basically what it says is, uh, uh, you know, rule number one is stop, stop the killing and rule number two is stop the dying. So rule number one is like, stop the active shooter situation as quick as possible. If you're the first on the scene, you're supposed to basically just charge in and distract, kill the shooter, return fire, keep them pinned down, whatever you can do to stop the killing. It's not survey the situation. It's not surround the building. It's not, uh, uh, wait for SWAT or backup. Like the active shooter training is legitimately, rush in and stop the killing that's what that's what it all boils down to do i sympathize with or empathize with uh not wanting to run headfirst into danger uh, especially when you don't really know what's going on like you just show up and there's gunshots going off of course that's a, a, a the human the general human reaction is to run away from danger it's fight or flight and that's usually fight is usually when it's a fight for your own life uh, 
in a situation where you're being asked to risk your own life for others, that's really hard to do. I kind of think that comes with the job when you sign up to be a police officer. Um, an interesting side note to this conversation is that the Supreme Court has the Supreme Court and other federal courts have ruled time and again, the police actually have no duty to protect. Uh, they, they are not legally mandated or forced to put their lives on the line to rescue anybody. Right. But it's just kind of like, um, an understood thing I, I would say, but obviously in this situation, they, there's been all kinds of different report reporting out of this. And the story seems to change every other day. At first they, um, at first they thought that, I mean, the police chief, I think it was the police chief even said that like, they thought it was a barricaded shooter situation. They thought that there were no more children in danger, which is a euphemism for he, they thought that he had killed all the children in his vicinity and had barricaded himself in a classroom. Mm -hmm. That turns out not to necessarily be the case. Uh, but now, you know, there's been reporting that like there were children calling 911 even after he had barricaded himself in saying that there was still killing going on basically and they needed to be rescued. We won't probably know the exact truth for a while after all the investigations take place, but just kind of what do you feel about the response? What What's your reaction to them not just kind of charging in and waiting? Like even if it's 30 minutes, that's a, that's a really long time to uh, wait during an active shooter situation and kind of what, what do you kind of think should be the, let's say that they, they purposely disregarded their training in active shooter situations and they were, let's, let's paint them in the worst light. Like what if they were just cowards and like nobody wanted to run in, like what kind of, what kind of effect does that have? Not only for like their own police department, but for like the populace's faith in any, any, anywhere, their own police department. Yeah. I mean, if you assume the worst, uh, such as, as, you know, you're kind of asking me to do, um, every single one of them should be fired, um, including all of their superiors, because at some point training, like you're probably more empathetic to them wanting to save their own lives perhaps than I am. Because one, it's not a mystery what the risks are when you become a police officer. It's not, a, I mean, same for the military. Like I never, and there wasn't many of these people, but I never understood people who enlisted in the military during a time of war and then didn't want to go to like combat. What, what was the purpose? Like what was the thought process? And so much of military training, I'm assuming a lot of police training as well, is intended to train the natural humanity out of you when it comes to danger, thinking appropriately in the midst of chaos and being able to be effective um, because you've had it trained out of you more or less to not think about your own life, but rather think about what's the job I have to do. Um, and tactically that should get you home more often than not because you know what you're doing in all of these situations and all of these mass shootings, there's never been a, to my knowledge, a trained individual. It's been a weaponized individual on a soft target where they've been allowed to, um, by way of force, do whatever they wanted. They didn't have like a, a expert training. They just had the weapons. And that's, that's, 
something I wanted to touch on earlier, but I forgot when we were talking about training your son with weapons and stuff. I saw there's like a Twitter thread of a guy and he was like posting all these like, oh, this is a 16 year old from like it caught my eye because the first one he posted was it's some 16 year old girl from Alexandria, Virginia, who's won like all kinds of shooting competitions. And it's like a picture of her in her bedroom and she's got all her guns like laid out on the floor. And it's like, you know, dozens of rifles, dozens of handguns. And it's just like a long thread of like photos of Americans posing with their gun collections, basically. And like I retweeted the thread and I said specifically, these kind of people aren't the ones that are shooting up schools and hospitals and Walmarts. Like they're not the ones these people are besides like the crazy, like Ruby Ridge slash Waco. I mean, Waco wasn't really an armor, but, but you know, like the, the, um, what was like the Oregon crazy guys who like took over one of the wild wilderness buildings in Oregon. Um, those kind of guys, there are those kind of like far, far right militia, wannabe type people for sure don't get me wrong but the vast majority of the, the mass shootings we see are by untrained individuals uh especially like like i said like 18 year old like right around that age they're not general they're almost never like i said these trained people and like what, what i was going to bring up with your son is like it's a good way to get people instilled that like this is a tool it's a dangerous tool but you use it responsibly and you never you know use it for violence other than self-defense um, I didn't mean to interrupt you on that, but yeah, that like, it's basically exactly what you were saying. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Um, but, but again, kind of going back to the police thing, like if it was cowardice, um, I have no empathy. And, and I think to some degree, the reason this, and I haven't heard the opinions, but the rationale from, from the Supreme court would be that it's hard to craft legislation because so much of the right thing to do is highly circumstantial. Um, which goes to the police response. It'll be interesting to see how much information we get back because if it was reported, this is a barricaded situation. Even if there are children in there, um, it does make some sense to not go in because you don't know if he's, if he's, you know, booby trapped the door. You don't know what he's barricaded himself with. Um, you don't know if he has surrounded himself by, like there's so much unknown, um, that even, as horrific as it is, that would potentially be the right call. Now, my questions would be, okay, how did you know it's barricaded? What did you do to confirm it's a barricaded situation? Because if you just heard it was, then there should have been officers going in there to confirm, like, yep, the shots are all coming from this one spot in this one room behind this closed door. We have no windows in. Like, there should have been some way, to, I think, to verify that intel. Um, or... You're like, okay, we've heard it's a barricade situation. You X number of officers go in there, find where he is. And you're either going to see him not barricaded or you're going to be able to locate where he is. And, and to me, that should have been the way things unfolded. Um, because really, I think before Columbine, the tactic of the approach was always, you know, keep the active shooter confined. After Columbine, it was... Um, from what I'm talking to law enforcement officers around here, it's like what well, started with when the first four people get there, you go in. Then it went to three, then it went to two. And now the standard is whoever has a firearm as a law enforcement officer, go in. And like you said, um, you know, a, a kind of counterattack, um, distract, do whatever you have to do to keep innocent people from 
from being slaughtered. And that, that's where I have so many questions of what was known, who knew it. Um, and, and if they were given an order, this is a barricade situation, you know, kind of cordon the area, don't let parents in. Then the officers did the right thing and the commanders should be held accountable for making the bad call. If he did nothing else other than I heard it was a barricade, so I acted like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think at the very least that guy's, I think I read that he got sworn in as a city council member, so he might not even be the uh, the police chief anymore. Uh, obviously, this was from a different election prior to the shooting. Uh, I don't know what the punishment could be. Maybe he gets recalled or something. I can't imagine anybody on the Uvalde Police Department is going to stay there regardless of what. Like, even if they were ordered to, like, stand down or whatever. Like, I can't imagine that the community is going to be very uh, forgiving for those. Like, like whether... I, if we take worst case scenario and they were cowardly and like they they knew the training was to go in and they didn't because they were afraid, uh, I don't think those people should be police anywhere. But I think what's probably most likely going to happen is like the top chain of command will take the fall and then all these officers will be, you know, will will move to other police departments around the state or out of the state. Uh, I don't think that literally anyone who was involved will stay with with the current police department. I just like, it's a small town. It's like 16,000 people or something like that. It's not a big town. Like I don't think in a small town like that, that the, the, they basically lost all public trust and you really can't do your job as a police officer. If nobody in the public, we're talking about Texas, this is Texas. We're talking about this. Isn't, this isn't Portland, Oregon. This isn't, you know, Seattle, Washington with their, with their no police zones. This is deep Texas through and through. So where the population is probably thinking it would have been better off if we would have responded as private citizens then. Yes. And like they were like the not that I, I we'll talk about this as a what to do in mass shooting situation or like how to prevent mass shootings or whatever. But like even if they some of the parents had weapons, yeah, they were literally held back by the police and told not to go in, not to do anything. They were taking care of it. So, yeah, when reports like that started coming out, like I told Lauren, I was like, they'd have to shoot me. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to hear gunshots into a classroom where my children are. I'm watching police who are heavily armed just stand there. Like, yeah, I mean, out out of if I especially if I was armed, you would have had to be the one to shoot me because I I couldn't live with myself. Yeah. I don't know if they had I don't know if they use them, but there are videos and pictures circulating of the police having their tasers out, pointing them at the parents like telling them to get back or whatever. Yeah. And again, if it's a barricade situation, that makes some sense. But then the question is, again, how did you know that? What did you do to verify it? So again, in all fairness to the police officers, because those situations are not easy or predictable, but information needs to be made public. um, In my opinion, because like you said, the public trust is, is of a, a significant factor in this moving forward and then appropriate accountability needs to be had for if this was a call by a commander on scene um, and he was wrong, he needs to be held accountable and yeah. not, not the police officers under him because you don't get to pick and choose what orders you want to follow. Yeah. But from this, like, again, according to their training, you show up and you go in, like you don't even wait for, you're not waiting for the police chief to make a call. Uh, so there is some accountability there in my opinion, but yeah, I think I think most likely scenario is the the leadership will be reprimanded. Um, 
and not any individual officer in that situation. What, what does it say? Well, let's say this. One last thing about the barricade situation. To, to, change, to change your tactics from an active shooter situation to a barricaded and or hostage situation, you need 100% evidence. You don't make that call based on conjecture. If there are kids still alive in there and he's already killed, you know, you don't know how many he's killed, but a dozen, there's no reason to believe he's not going to kill more. Uh, so you need to know that he's barricaded himself in an empty room with nobody else in there. There's no guessing about that. And from everything I've seen and read, it seems like they guessed, they assumed that it was a barricaded situation and they, there was no, like, there's no way they verified that whatsoever. They just assumed that he was barricaded and nobody else was left alive in there. No. And and I get that. And that's why I say like, okay, if the testimony is, we thought it was barricaded situation. Okay. Follow up. Why did you think that? And then whatever that answer is, how did you confirm that Intel? Um, because even, like I said, at that point, it would seem, and this is why I'm just highly speculative, speculative um, but it would seem if he's barricaded, you would want to try to, at that point, start at least evacuating all the teachers and students who were not barricaded with him. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it seems like if you're getting reports as barricaded, you'd want to confirm that. And that doesn't seem like it'd be a hard thing to confirm, especially if he's still actively shooting while barricading with potentially, you know, teachers or students. Yeah. And the other thing I saw that potentially a reason why it took so long is they were trying to find keys to the doors. They couldn't get in the locked doors, which is just like baffling to me. Like, how is there not uh, like a master key that the police have for this sort of situation? Or why are they not just busting the door down? Like, why are like, there's no way they don't have the tools to enter a elementary school door. Like, it's just insane. Yeah, I would think no matter how small the police, and again, this is why I just have questions because it's a smaller police department. But my guess is you proactively assume many criminals are going to lock their doors and you need to find a way to get in to stop a crime or whatever the case is. So it seems like they would have basic breaching skills to be able to not let a locked door become a problem. Um, So, I mean, I again, law enforcement is probably one of the toughest jobs. I want to give as much grace to my own ignorance and grace to them in light of my own ignorance about the specifics of training that police go through and not assume it's all the same as the military. These are very different jobs. But some of the things that, that you hear just bring about more questions. So it'll be interesting to see what the answers are, what the follow-up action is for that town and to some degree potentially for policing um, across the state, because I think the state can have and probably should have an active responsibility in how general rules for how each precinct and each law enforcement officer is going to uh, be held accountable and receive the training necessary to do their job well. Okay. And to kind of segue into the second part of this conversation that we wanted to hit, what do you think it says about an untrained 18-year-old with a newly bought AR platform was basically able to hold off an entire police department? What does that say about the state of uh, gun control in America? What does it say about the state of gun control? Um, like, an un, literally, an untrained 18-year-old went and purchased a rifle, an AR rifle, 
basically as soon as he could with mm-hmm. no previous training and forced such indecision on a police department that he had at a minimum 30 minutes of free reign, even though the police showed up basically immediately. Like they were, if we're going to give them the worst view, they were too scared to go in to confront an untrained. They don't, obviously they don't know who the shooter is, but the fact that he more or less held off an entire police department for upwards of an hour. Do you think that that's kind of an indictment on the current level of the lack thereof of gun control in America? Um, I don't see the relevance of the latter part of that question, um, just because I think the ability to hold off police officers is a different conversation altogether with regards to what what their training says they should do, um, what their, what is the expectations of the um, roles and responsibilities they have. Um, you know, I can understand the question with regards to, okay, an 18 year old, um, legally purchased a weapon and did this is there other, other things we can do from a legal standpoint to better control the, you know, commercial exchange of firearms so that this situation doesn't happen. Like, I guess I understand the basis of the question on, on the, that part of it, but I don't know that I see a correlation between the police officer response and gun control measures. I I do to an extent, maybe because I want to see it, but I mean, I, I kind of see the relevance in it in the sense that while they might not have known that the shooter was untr- who the shooter was, obviously they didn't run a background check on him. The fact that the responding officers didn't just immediately go in and in the situation. Uh, I think that kind of speaks volumes to, the argument a lot of Democrats have about banning AR platform guns is that they are so easy to use and can put so many like high velocity rounds downrange accurately in a short amount of time with a relatively large magazine. Like this is that this is the like prime example of why they want to ban these sort of guns because more, I mean, he didn't. It, there wasn't like a like attempted siege, and he held off a siege. Like we we've already discussed this. Like they basically stood outside and waited. But it also wasn't like they knew he only had a handgun, so they could easily overwhelm him. I think that does say something to the argument that like we should probably make these guns a little bit harder to acquire. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I get what you're saying there, but in, in that in that situation, um, one trained police officer, especially in that situation, uh, should have the tactical advantage over an untrained 18 year old. Um, and I think when you look at some of the footage with the police officers that were there, not going in while he was still actively shooting, um, they had both, um, you know, the sidearm, the, the pistol. Um, as well as their uh, rifles, they were equipped to go in and overwhelm him with firepower. They were equipped with communication to be able to have multiple points of entry, um, should that present a tactical advantage. And they were equipped to be able to clear a room more effectively um, and put shots on target. There's just no reason, to my knowledge, um, of what's been put out so far and confirmed where 
it really doesn't matter. Save maybe like a, a squad automatic weapon, um, like an M249 or something. Um, save something like that. They should have been able to overwhelm him with firepower, even if all they had was their their pistols. Um, and he had his uh, his, his rifle. Um, yeah, I agree. They I should guess have that, been able to. Yeah. So what I say? So that's why I say like that. That to me is where like that argument is harder to make. Um, but I can I can I can understand and and have good conversation. I think around like eighteen year old, um, there were some warning signs in his past and in his life um, that probably should have been able to tip people off that he was not stable. Um, you know, so I think like for instance the red flag law discussion. Um, if we could have good faith argument on both sides and not use improper language to describe the situation, I think there could be good traction there. Um, I think Arizona actually passed a law and what they did was they took all the mass shootings since Columbine and said, let's try to craft a, a law that would have addressed, been able to address all of these um, while not basically just saying, okay, it's illegal to own these because that's not going to work. Um, David French, I believe, wrote about that uh, a week or two ago. Um, and that seemed like a, at least an interesting perspective to try to figure out what went wrong and how could we have stopped it without overstepping. Um, you know, I think to me, when it comes to red flag laws, if you use the concise and precise language that, for instance, uh, Department of Family Services and Child Protective Services use when, when establishing a basis for um, pulling children out of a home that may not be safe. I think if you, you can craft legislation like that regarding red flag laws and, it, laws and it's that narrow, um, then I think you could have a, a good basis for how can we help prevent without having any sort of infringement on uh, those who signify no threat or no danger to anyone else. The popular opinion currently after a week is to restrict I believe it's just AR platform weapons to 21 year old to be able to purchase I don't think it's all weapons but it, it, I mean I imagine some of the more radical Democrats are would push for all weapons at 21 uh, do you think a 21 minimum age for ARs would be constitutional? No. I also don't think it solves the problem. Um, I, I don't think it solves every problem, but a lot of these shootings that we're seeing, again, it's generally 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, like people who haven't fully, fully emotionally developed and really understand, you know, what is going on. It, it would it would stop a lot of school shootings. School shootings are generally done by teenagers, not by adults. Uh, I, and I and I and I and I say I say adult meaning over over twenty. Like generally, school shootings are like sixteen to nineteen year olds. I believe I'm, like that's the vast vast majority of them. Would this stop all mass shootings? No, I agree with you there. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, I think I think all we can do, obviously, is speculate about that. But if I had to guess, I would say it would delay it because I don't think if you are mentally unhealthy and unstable, 
that goes away at 21 with maturity. I mean, unless you're actively aware of your instability um, and your need for professional help, I think it just pushes back or makes you get creative um, with regards to kind of build things to hurt people. Yeah, the Sandy Hook shooting, the guy used his it was his mom's rifle. It wasn't hit like he he didn't purchase mm-hmm. that rifle. Um, I agree with you that they would find other means of doing it, I would say, but it would make it a little bit harder. I don't necessarily think the idea is that they would mature between 18 and 21 and decide not to do it. However, like three years removed from high school, no matter how bad it was, like you're generally I, I see the argument that like it's going to reduce people's willpower to wait three years, purchase a rifle and then go back to their school and do that or any school. Um, so I buy that a little bit, but I also buy it. What it does is like they're when they start looking at these people more in depth, you said it before, like there are already red flags for these people. There, there was no shock that this kid was disturbed. And again, like I said, they looked at his social media messaging and he was, you know, had violent imagery, violent, violent, um, language. Like it wasn't a shock that this guy was, and, and he had the typical, he was bullied, that sort of thing. I saw some reports that, that he, uh, was known to like kill animals, not like hunting, like the serial, the serial killer kind of way of killing animals. I, I think delaying it from 18 to 21 gives more, opportunity to find out like if he has to go have a job right and he gets fired why did he get fired uh probably because he was maladjusted and couldn't couldn't um fit in you know like it gives more opportunities for those red flags to pop up in my opinion whereas like in high school they kind of chalk up a lot of it to just being a teenager right oh like he was just a a a a uh out of control teenager but like nothing out of the ordinary right like not saying that this kid was i don't i i don't know his history other than what i've the small things i just said but just in general like we always hear the same thing like oh you know like he did he did some bad things but it was mostly just teenage teenager stuff getting into trouble like i think when you become 18 19 20 and you have to go out into the quote-unquote real world it gives more opportunity for people to deal with or like see the real you uh, and maybe some of those can would would work out into preventing they'd, they'd have the flags to prevent an actual you know sale but i sort of i well, not sort of i agree a lot of what the what I'm, I, every time the left talks about gun control it's it's basically impossible the supreme court we talked about guns before the supreme court's ruled on it in the heller decision we're becoming we're trending more towards unlimited unlimited access to guns than we're trending towards any sort of gun control like as far as our uh laws go like between the heller decision and just states in general becoming looser with their gun laws uh texas i believe is uh you can conceal carry without a permit uh we're we're trending in the opposite direction of gun control and i don't we would need a, a new amendment to amend the second amendment <laughs> in order to pass any sort of meaningful gun control. That doesn't change my opinion that I think gun control would prevent a lot of shootings, but because I understand the reality of the situation that that's and with the way the laws are set up in the United States and this general sentiment of gun control among the left and the right, 
that we're never going to have meaningful gun control. It's just never going to happen. Biden, I, I'm watching these progressives that I follow on Twitter trash Biden for saying that he could, he can't do anything on guns. And then I've, I don't know if I've quote tweeted them or just responded to their tweets saying like, you guys do these, this political pundit thing as a profession. You should know what the constitution says. Biden literally can't do anything. There's nothing Biden can do by executive order that would prevent, that would do anything meaningful. It's just a, a, a stupid pipe dream. Like it's just trashing him to trash him. Uh, which don't get me wrong, there's plenty of things to trash Biden on. But like when he said, like, I can't do anything about it, it's because he understands the Constitution. He can't do anything about it between the Constitution, Supreme Court and the state laws. Biden has zero power. So I'm, I live in the reality that gun laws are never going to change. So what with that in mind, I just want to reiterate, I think that gun control would prevent a lot of these mass shootings in some form or fashion. We probably disagree on that. I'm, I'm sure we I haven't listened to our gun episode in a long time, but I know I'm like in general pro pro gun ownership, but I think that if 2A didn't exist and we did it in a modern way, it would be much like driver's licensing. You'd need to get licensed, insured, uh, proof of training, that sort of thing. Uh, that's that would be my ideal situation. But since I know that's never, ever, ever going to happen, let's talk about something, some things that we think would really actually affect mass shootings in this country. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I would circle, I mean, I would circle back and say, like, I don't disagree that gun control would, um, especially if you, if you did it as, uh, far reaching, not you personally, but if people yeah. did it as far reaching as they wanted to, um, sure. But, but I mean, there, there is a realistic, um, aspect of this that, I mean, 2A in part was, and I would argue in major part was to prevent tyranny from your own government. Yes. Um, now people, when they make this argument, you know, I mean, you saw this on the Ben Shapiro and, uh, the British guy that was on CNN. He's like, Oh, that's crazy. And it's like, nobody makes that argument about president Biden. They make that argument for whoever's president in 2122, 2172. Um, because the nature of governments um, are to become more authoritarian. Um, and, and you made the argument before, too, like you can argue the best form of government is a benevolent dictator, a benevolent and wise dictator. Um, unfortunately, that's just not the reality of humanity. So we live with checks and balances and safeguards and um, in a constitutional republic, which is intended to constrain the power of the government to trample, trample individuals' rights. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's where um, anytime, even when you start talking about, well, let's just ban it until you're 21. If it doesn't work, then what? Do you admit that it doesn't work and remove the law or do you get more restrictive in the law? And that's what my concern is. Um, but I think there could be good precedent, like I mentioned earlier. I mean, I don't write to me a binary. Um, you don't have some that are really important and universally applicable and some that are somewhere in the middle. You have them or you don't. They're inalienable or they're not. So as a country, if we said part of that inalienable right is to be able to arm yourself and defend yourself against whatever threat there might be to your life, liberty, or property, um, I agree with that. At the same time, that is equally as much of a right as my right to raise my children in my house and not have the government take them from me. However, we know that there are some bad biological parents out there that are hurting their kids, and you don't present charges to the biological parent, bring them to court, 
get a ruling and then determine if you remove the kids. Why? Because they were a threat to the child's life, liberty, and property. Most of life in that, that regard, because you don't have much liberty or property when you're that young. But they were a threat, so you put an end to the threat because you have some evidence that you haven't been able to fully investigate, and then you get a timely court date to determine, okay, did we fully understand this? If so, you know, what do we need to do now? And, there's, and in that process, you know, with uh, you know, foster care specifically, there's many, many, many options for a biological parent who is neglecting or hurting their children to learn, get treatment, get better, um, so that they can safely parent their biological kids. I think in the same manner, you can have red flag laws that are very concise, very specific, narrowly tailored, and say, if we have these evidence, we can present it to a judge and proactively seize weapons for a period not more than, I think Virginia did this, not more than like 10 days or something to that effect, at which point we present evidence that this person is a threat, this person is dangerous and at least needs to be treated before they can be given the responsibility of gun ownership, before they can be entrusted with the right responsibility of ownership of a firearm. Um, and, you know, to me, that includes, you know, anything from the torturing of animals um, to domestic violence, domestic abuse. Um, because in all of these things, what you see is a misuse of power and authority over a more helpless being, human or otherwise. And that is a character flaw that is only going to get worse. So that, that, that's my thoughts on red flag flaws. I think you can have a good conversation around that. Most other things I think are somewhere between ineffective and a very dangerous precedent to establish, even if the intent is good. Yeah. Well, on the left, it's, it's a gun issue. On the right, it's a mental health issue. The truth is it's both. Mm-hmm. But I want to touch on the mental health issue. Maybe you're more in tune with it. What do, what do they mean? What does the right mean when they say we can prevent these mass shootings if we focus on mental health? Like, what does that mean? What, what does that mean to them? This is probably why I'm not the best GOP because again, the good GOPers. I don't necessarily mean GOP, but you've heard that argument, right? Like, no, yeah, I've heard that argument. Mental health issue. So, what is? How do we solve the mental health issue? So I would say for most politicians, because I don't don't genuinely respect the way they communicate, I would say they're trying to make it a mental health issue um, as a way of not engaging in otherwise potentially valid points with regards to things such as red flag law debates, right? Um, but I think they would say, let's put more of our effort and energy into identifying people who have warning signs of mental health and get treatment. Now, the reason I'm only guessing, because, okay, when you think about treatment, where does that go? Because you're against, and I'm against also, um, government-funded health care. But mental health is a health care aspect. So are you going to force them to go to health care against their will? Are you going to pay for it? But if they can't afford it, like, where does that go? And that's why I never get good details from people who use that talking point. Yeah, I, I don't talking point. Not to distract from your question, but no, no, no. I, I would is, agree with you that I don't ever. Uh, it never goes past like, okay, then what do we do about it? Like, it's a mental health issue, and that's generally where it stops. Like, there's nothing beyond it. Is what is my in my in my experience. Yeah, 
So so, so to me, the the best first step, and I think a a first step that doesn't um, violate both precedent that is uniformly agreed upon, which I already talked about with with foster care system, um, because nobody's going to disagree that kids that might be in danger should be left in danger. I think if you do red flags like that and then put money and effort into not into making soft targets, hard targets by, you know, more security at um, at least public institutions, potentially such as, you know, uh, schools or um, some hospitals like those are the things the government I think can do and has a responsibility to do to say we're not going to make these easy targets. You know, so we're going to assign X number of people per school um to at least be there to to dissuade because again there's a reason in all of their mental instability there's a reason these people are not going to um the police precinct to fire on armed trained individuals they're going to soft targets intentionally so i think that's when we talk about preventing these that has to be a a component in preventative measures that i think i would hope both all parties would agree on. My issue with that is just there's always soft targets. You never get rid of soft targets. We've seen that with airports. They hardened airports after 9-11, and there are still airport attacks. Go to go to Ronald Reagan Airport during the holidays and tell me it's not the softest target ever. Like, it 100% is. It, there's always bottlenecks. There's always choke points. There's always uh, the Arkansas shooting in, like, 96 or 98 or whatever where the kids pulled the fire alarm and then sat in the woods and shot at the kids evacuating the building. Like there's, there's no way to stop all of these. And unless you have basically a police force at every school, which who's going to pay for that first of all, but second, like if you only have one or two guards, like we've seen it, there was a, there was an armed security guard at Parkland high school in Florida and he fled, he hid when, when the time came, like you can't, you can't rely on that in my opinion. But I think some hardening of schools can happen, sure. Like that'll maybe delay it long enough. But like I don't like the stuff that like Ted Cruz is talking about, like one entry, one exit is like just the – like if you think about that for longer than five seconds, you can just poke a million holes in it. It's just the dumbest idea ever. But to go back to the mental health thing, like that's what I've been kind of like noodling on. Like what? how can you tie mental health to gun purchases – without violating people's rights. I think what's interesting is we, we really want to talk about the Roe v. Wade decision that's coming out soon with the Supreme Court. One of the side effects of if the draft decision finalizes basically as is, is that it kind of takes away the argument of right to privacy, especially with uh, medical decisions, which is what Roe is basically based on. And even though it's kind of, even though... Alito says that this only applies to abortions and not all the other decisions in the last 10 years that are kind of hinged on the right to privacy thing. His argument in general really kind of blows apart. Like basically he's saying that there was no, when the founding fathers wrote the constitution, there was no such thing as right to privacy. And because there was no like precedent for right to privacy that we shouldn't read into that, that that, that's like an inherent right. He even goes to say like, if you say that, then like, you know, drugs can be legalized, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, they should be legalized. You should have be able to do whatever you want with your own body. That's a different topic. But if you blow apart right to privacy in Roe v. Wade, I think that opens the door to like you can't tie you can't tie mental health checks to gun purchases because of the Second Amendment. But you can tie mental health checks to something else that's not 
that's not a right. You can tie mental health checks too. If you want to get your driver's license at 16, you have to have, you have to take a mental health evaluation. Uh, and then at least you'll have one on record. That way, when you turn 18 and are legally allowed to buy firearms, you have a mental health evaluation on record. I haven't like looked into that as far as legality or feasibility, but that's something that I was thinking of is like tie mandatory mental health check to something that the, the state or the federal government controls that isn't a right. And like the driver's license state ID thing is, is kind of the one. But again, that's the issue that you brought up earlier of the funding for that has to be a universal health care type of funding. You can't expect I wouldn't like I wouldn't be in favor of. OK, in order to get your driver's license at 16, you need a mental health check that you pay for. Like, I don't I don't like that at all. Yeah, that, 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 that for a lot of people, that is even poverty. Like, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm against like any form of payment for a state ID, especially when they're required for voting. Um, the, the only other like way, in my opinion, is probably like what Obamacare did, where you, you force insurance carriers to offer that as part of their plan, right? Like the mental health check is included in insurance. So, most 16-year-olds are on their parents' you know, health insurance, uh, so it would be covered that way. Again, I haven't like thought super – like I haven't like researched any of this. This is just like off the top of my head. How do we get mental health – if this is a mental health issue and we seriously want to prevent mentally ill, mentally unstable people from being able to purchase weapons, how, how, how does that look? What is that? You can't force every American to get a mental health evaluation, so you have to tie it as as part of something that – the government controls and like license driver's licensing is really the, the most obvious one to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right in the sense of you would have to tie it to a non right. Um, but then, yeah, you, I mean, you look at funding and stuff and that's why, uh, you know, when Republicans talk about, it, I'm just curious if okay, what's the plan and if it's yeah. a mental health issue, where do you go next? Um, but uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, I'm not saying, you know, you brought up airports and stuff with hard targets and soft targets, you know, yeah, there are certainly, you know, certain points there are certainly um, aspects, but I would even say with airports, like you're not seeing mass shootings, even on Thanksgiving at airports, um, at least not, not to this point, it seems to always be. Yeah. We're kind of out of the, I mean, there always is a terrorist threat somewhere, but we're Which generally. Yeah, I think on that level, I, mean, I think that's a, a little bit more apples and oranges. Than- I, I just, I just mean in general, like we're out of that threat, but like, um, Belgium had a very famous airport shooting. Istanbul had an airport shooting uh, that was terrorist related. So, like, even though we consider airports hardened post nine eleven, like there's still areas of an airport. Again, go to go go outside security of any major airport during a, a holiday rush season. It's super soft. You can walk all the way up to security with a with a you know a vest bomb and you're not going to get stopped until you get to security so it's not like that like the added security you're just moving the soft you're just moving the soft target you're not like getting rid of a soft target to, to harden a school to be to not be a soft target you're talking about like making it look like a, a penitent a state penitentiary like that's how you harden a target like that no i mean that's fair but like i said i think you can you can make a soft target a harder target. I think that does. Yeah, you can make it less appealing for sure. But I just, I don't, I don't think like, I think when, again, this is like the Ted Cruz thing that he's, he was talking about, like those kind of things are just not 
that doesn't change anything. You just you're just moving the soft target. And for him, like again, I he is a Ivy League educated man, and he clerked on the Supreme Court, and he understands the laws of the country. He's not a dumb person, but he goes back to what I'm saying of like he knows exactly what he's saying. He's crafted it that way. When he says stuff that sounds dumb on the surface, it's because like he knows it's dumb. It's not an accident. Uh, but the whole like oh schools need a single point of entry and exit is not the solution. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I guess I mean I'm not I'm not disagreeing with that, especially in like an absolute sense of there should only be one entry exit point. I mean that's just for for a number of reasons. Um, but I mean I do think if you have, and this has to be caveated quite a bit, appropriately trained police officers, two, three, four of them. At, you know, the Texas shooting, I don't think he is able to kill anyone or not nearly as many people as he did. You brought up Broward County, and that's a fair point. Um, And I would want to look at, to to me, my first thought goes to what's your evaluation criteria for selecting people to be on your your law enforcement staff? Um, What's the training look like for that? Because if you're not training them and you're not doing any sort of um, pre-qualification evaluation, then you're setting yourself up for failure. Because like I said before, law enforcement might be the hardest job in America. It takes a unique individual to be able to, you know, prepare for both a, a firefight and also prepare to be as like gentle and helpful with society and still assume innocence and not guilt with everybody you walk like with everybody you interact with. It takes a certain level of mental toughness and maturity and emotional intelligence to, to be able to kind of pull that off. And when you look at Broward, that would be my like, okay, what happened? Is this a bad apple or is this a, a bad core that needs to be addressed? Well, that was a very supersized episode, which I guess we kind of owe it to ourselves and anybody who listens considering we were off for a month. So this will be a fun one to edit, given its length. Yeah, I think, you know, if you want to hear more about our thoughts on guns, and even though I'm generally a Democrat, our gun episode, I, I am pro-gun ownership. I just wish that I think the Second Amendment really prevents us from having common sense gun laws in this country. Um, again, I think that like anybody should be able to own any armament. Like that's the spirit of what the Second Amendment is. But I also think there's a smarter way to do it than just once you turn 18, you have access to a whole plethora of of uh, killing tools. Because no matter what the Constitution says, like it's not we've seen with time and time again that certain individuals should not be able to possess guns. And I don't think, well, I would say some on the more deep right would say everybody sh- should have access to guns no matter what. Uh, unlimited, unlimited access to guns, no matter what. But like, I think most reasonable people, uh, including Thomas, obviously with talking about red flag laws, like some people don't haven't earned the right of responsibility, like based on responsibility to own weapons, whether that's mental illness, whether that's just like treating the responsibility poorly. Uh, I, there's countless videos out there of people at gun ranges who like, are posing with guns, putting it to their head at the gun range, pointing at their friend at the gun range. Like some people just don't have the 
capability of treating guns how they should be treated. And like, I hate the comparison of like a gun is just a tool. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. Nope. Well, that's true, but people are using guns to kill people. When you look at the stats, places that have more guns, have more gun violence, have more gun deaths, have more people dying due to violence based on the UK who has a lot of knife crime, a lot of knife violence there. The, the murder rate with knives is like, a tenth of the murder rate of gun with guns in this country. And that's guns are deadlier, just how it is. Uh, so yes, a car can kill people just like a gun can kill people, but one is a little bit easier. And again, listen to our gun episode. I thought we had a really good conversation about that as I thought this was a really good episode on our feelings of, of these mass shootings and, and how to stop them. But do you have any closing thoughts? Um, nothing more than really what I've said. You know, I, I think, it, you know, the, the big thing that you mentioned, you know, um, places with more guns, you know, are going to have obviously more gun violence. But I think there's a problem even when you look at at the micro level compared to the national level. Um, if you don't have well-written, concise gun laws, then that problem doesn't go away. I mean, Chicago, New York is a state, California. I mean, they've all had either mass shootings or massive gun violence. Um, so so you, you just really from my perspective, one from precedent standpoint, but even from practical standpoint, um, have to be careful and well thought out um, with what you write and also write it in such a way that it's going to be practically enforceable. Because even like there are things with the Buffalo shooter, um, the police seem to be just under law enforcement, rather seem to be unaware of some of the levers they had and they could have pulled to kind of flag this guy prior to his shooting. So I don't know. I, I think the biggest problem we're going to have isn't so much 2A. It's it's politicians who are disingenuous and are just trying to uh, win the next popularity contest instead of being honest, making good faith arguments, and uh, using correct verbiage to describe ways to really solve the problem and presenting their case to the people, not based off fear, but based off of, of sober-minded reasoning. And I think that's that's why we don't solve most problems in this country. Yeah, I mean, there's a plethora of reasons. And again, it, the political system as a whole is why we don't – it's not built to solve problems. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, again, I just want to reiterate that like I, I really hate the Dems platform of gun control because of the tide that has turned since the 2008 Heller decision. Like that's – it's a losing argument. That even if you convince people to your side, three-fourths of the House, three-fourths of the Senate, and 38 states, that's how you mend the Constitution. That is never, ever, (laughs) ever, ever going to happen on gun control. We are never going to amend the Second Amendment. You are never going to get 38 states, ever. Even if you get get some kind of crazy supermajority in the House and Senate, you're not getting 38 states to to, um, ratify. So it's a pipe dream, like... You can, we can, what they really need to do is figure out what wiggle room they have with other things. Again, I agree it's a mental health issue, but if it's a mental health issue, how do you prevent these guys, these mental health, mentally ill people from obtaining weapons and keeping weapons and all that sort of thing? If that's the case, then we need to figure out the Dem needs to figure, they need to be more creative in how they're going to go about the kind of gun control they want. The problem with the, I mean, again, I don't want to go into a whole other, spiel but the problem with the democrats of like they want to ban all guns for all people 
instead of targeted banning for certain people. Targeting banning of cert- for certain people is still against 2A. It's still against the Constitution. So you can't do that either. And that's just never going to happen. But you got to be creative and, and, and find ways like kind of how I was saying with maybe ma- tie mental health to licensing or some other some other thing. But the full this whole like gun ban, gun control platform that the Dems seem to be fixated on is just like not it's literally just words. Uh, Again, I think they know that they can't do anything, but like it's a for really left wing people. It's still a big issue. And like these mass shootings don't do anything but embolden those people. But when I have to, well, I don't have to do it. I do it because I'm an idiot and I find some kind of sick pleasure in it. But when I'm like, when I'm on Twitter and people like Crystal Ball, who worked as an aide in Congress, who ran for Congress, who is whole career is political punditry and knows, you know, Congress inside and out, for her to post something about Biden is a terrible president because he's not doing anything about gun control, control is just so disingenuous. Like there's, Again, there's nothing he could do about it. And if you if you know the basic laws of this country, you understand why. But like that's that's where we're at. And I just I agree. I wish we could kind of like I wish that Republicans wouldn't be so not anti-gun control. Like it's just like they don't. It's not that Republicans want mass shootings to continue, but the the cost of any gun control is too much in my opinion, like they can't have any, that's why they kind of tied to mental health. And on the flip side, there's no, there's no gun control that Democrats can pass that is constitutionally sound that will make a difference. So it's, it's just not, it's a red herring of an issue. And like, I just wish that Congress would kind of move on and find another solution because it's not going to be gun. It's not going to be gun laws. Yeah. Well, honestly, I think whenever Senator Cruz runs again, that should be a primary point that his opponent, and I think he's got three more years or so, two or three more years, but that should be a primary point his opponent makes is, we agree it's mental health. Now, what do you do? I don't know that he can answer that particularly well with his principles on other things. But I mean, I I think, you know, and this is about a good place to end where we both agree. Anytime you talk about solving the problem with a Republican, if you mention anything at all about red flag laws or gun control. Like there's just no engagement yeah, yeah, yeah. in yeah. that conversation. It just becomes rhetoric and hyperbole. And I think on the other side, I think anytime you talk to Democrats, you say, hey, we both see this problem. Let's try to solve it, but let's start with not gun control, but other means by which we might be able to make this less of a uh, common occurrence in society they seem to not want to engage in that conversation, but yeah. rush to no, let's deal with guns and then everything else. And, and I think there are better, more sensible, honorable, good faith arguments to be conversations to be had. And, and until you get a political system or an, uh, an electorate that demands better, you're not going to get it because everybody's just going to, everybody wants to have a pep rally. You know, <laughs> yeah. most Republicans want to hear their Republican candidate excite everybody. Democrats yeah. the same way. And until you have people that really value, like, no, present steel man arguments for your opponent. Tell me, you know, where you're still trying to learn and figure things out because you're not omniscient. You're just, you're just going to point fingers and yell and nothing, nothing meaningful gets done. And that's 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 a tragedy where I wish as a society we would demand better 
Um, because ultimately, I think it, it always comes back to the voting uh, populace in a democracy. I mean, that's the only way you can come come. Yeah, change. you're not going to get that from DC politicians, but you know where you will get it from the One v One Deep State podcast. <laughs> Every time. Every time. Thanks for listening, guys. I know this was long. Uh, even when I edit it, I'm sure it's still going to be over an hour and a half. Uh, so thanks for sticking around if you stuck around. Uh, if it takes you multiple episodes to listen to or multiple days to listen to, I completely understand because it's going to take me multiple days to edit the damn thing. But follow us on Twitter at OVO Deep State, at The Rake, but the A is a four, at Thomas Black underscore 86. Uh, make sure you mute the words Liberty and Liberty University. It does wonders for your timeline. Join us in the Discord. The link's below. We have great conversations all the time. I say that and I mean it. So I'll, I'm up, I'll post this in the Discord. Hopefully we can have some conversations about like what to do about mass shootings. So I think that's the more important issue at hand. Uh, but as always, we appreciate you guys for listening. Sorry for the long hiatus. Uh, it was a long month. Hopefully nothing in the future comes up. I don't have anything. I know you said you're going to do some traveling. I got, I got nothing for the summer other than having a new kid. But we shouldn't miss too many more recordings. And Calc 2. And Calc 2. That'll be over in four weeks, so I'll be happy about that. But, yeah, appreciate you all. Thanks. Take it easy, guys. Bye.